0: Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. And our theme today is called The Explosive Power of Listening. The Explosive Power of Listening, particularly to the Holy Spirit. And this is a talk I gave at Exponential 2020 this past week uh, in Orlando. It gave me an opportunity to really work on uh, some new material of the integration of the power of the Holy Spirit uh, with Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, and it forced me to reflect and ponder for a number of weeks on what's changed in my own life, because I came to Christ in an Assemblies of God Church, and really my whole early days, my first 17, 18 years of uh, following Christ were uh, mostly in a Pentecostal, you know, charismatic uh, context, and so a lot of uh, emphasis of the Holy Spirit, but without EH discipleship, and or, or I'll call serious discipleship, and the result of that was we had a lot of uh, limited, uh, I'll call it fruit. Uh, we baptized a lot of dysfunction, uh, and the mission was compromised. Uh, but of course, God met us in an extraordinary way, in ways so unexpected through emotionally the discipleship. We got to see that emotional health and spiritual maturity can't be separated, uh, and led us into all kinds of theological uh, you know, new understandings of things like grief and loss and limits, and then a slowdown spirituality, integrating things like silence and solitude and so these last 24 years have been a walking out of an that integration that's been very transformative. And it's given me a much larger, broader view of the Holy Spirit than I had in the earlier days, that I'd call a more of a restricted view. Uh, and there's a lot I could say about this, but today I want to focus particularly on listening to the Holy Spirit. And I want to look at two, two individuals. One is Philip, uh, who's a great example of listening to the Spirit, and Peter, who's a great example of not listening uh, to the Spirit. Uh, I'm in Pickler in, in listening to Jesus uh, in the book of Matthew, and again the basic principle here is as we launch out in this podcast is that there's no movement of the Holy Spirit without listening to Him, and uh, that's really key to us. And so, the great revelation of uh, the New Testament is the inauguration of the age of the Spirit uh, at Pentecost. The Old Testament, God did things by the Spirit. I mean, God was very much alive, but we'd see the Spirit breaking in. Uh, on certain people, uh, primarily priests and prophets and kings, and only for certain tasks. Uh, we see him coming among people like David and Gideon and Ezekiel and Samson. And it, he was very God was very selective, and there was only certain Jews in particular, and it would begin and it would stop. But in the New Testament, the coming of Jesus, all that changes. Jesus comes and takes away sin. So now the Holy Spirit and God uh, can make his home inside of human beings. This is incredible. John Uh, you know, chapter 14, the Holy Spirit will live inside of you uh, now because of Jesus, the Lamb of God who's taken away sin. And so now it's not just on certain individuals for a certain task, but now the Holy Spirit can live inside of all of us who receive Jesus and uh, human beings, sinful human beings whose sin has been taken away, that God the Spirit lives inside of us and now whispers in our ears and speaks to us and guides us into all truth. I mean, this is incredible. So it's not just outside power, but power inside of us. The God of the universe has made a home in us. That's and So Pentecost is, is a revolution uh, as the person of the Spirit comes upon sinful human beings like us, and he abides in us, and he's a true friend. And so uh, again, Acts 1 and 2, the Spirit comes in Acts 2, and, and they're told to go out in all the nations, but uh, they, they don't go beyond you know, Jerusalem. And so God in Acts 8 sends a, a great persecution, breaks out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles scatter uh, throughout Judea and Samaria. And Saul begins to destroy the church, and he's dragging off men and women, calling them to prison. But So it's interesting how God sends this persecution to get the church out there to scatter uh, and to move. And so it's just an interesting lesson there, you know, how God often sends difficulties and circumstances to get us to move when we won't move. And so Philip is one of the people who scatters, uh, and he first he go, he's the first one to go to Samaria, where a revival breaks out. Uh, and we see in verse 26, the angel of the Lord uh, speaks to, to Philip and says, go south to the road, to a desert road from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so the angel of the Lord speaks to, to Philip, and he, and he moves. Uh, so again, just the, the word of the Lord comes to him, and he goes, and he goes into a, a, a desert road. A 60 mile trip he makes with little information, but complete trust in God. Uh, doesn't really know what's going to happen when he arrives. What am I going to eat? Little detail was given, very strange directions. But when he gets there uh, on that desert road, he sees an Ethiopian eunuch, uh, an important official, it says, in charge of the treasury of the queen of the Ethiopians. And so he's an Ethiopian eunuch, refers to a, a, a black man. Uh, it's synonymous with Ethiopian in ancient times. And Ethiopia referred to the entire region of Africa south of Egypt, present-day Sudan. It was a, it was a world power at the time, and so this uh, Ethiopian eunuch has great power and authority. Even though he's been castrated or dismembered for the queen, which puts him on the fringes of Judaism, he is a believer. And so the spirit speaks to Philip a second time and says, "Go to the, the spirit says go to that chariot and stay near it." And he does it. He may not be highly educated or upper class or rich like this African, but he goes anyway. Crosses those cultures and. And, and he hears the man reading aloud Isaiah, and he asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy says, no. And, and, then, Peter, and then Philip explains to him the, the passage and leads this Ethiopian eunuch to Jesus. And then it says, after the guy gets baptized, a third time, the Spirit speaks to Philip and says, uh, it says when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. <clears throat> and uh, again, he's radically open. And he ends up 30 miles away in a place called Azotus. And uh, you know, he's, just, he's transported by the Spirit. It's a remarkable story. But Philip is just so radically open to wherever the Holy Spirit takes him. He, he's a real listener. Now, Arrhenius, one of the church fathers in the second century, tells us that um, this Ethiopian eunuch returned uh, to his country. Uh, and Matthew, the apostle, followed him uh, and met the eunuch. And Matthew led—the the author of the Gospel of Matthew led the king of Ethiopia to Christ, who then gets baptized— but when the king dies and his brother takes the throne, he has Matthew executed because Matthew refused to approve or sanction his marriage to his niece. What's again so interesting is that by the year three hundred to four hundred A.D., North Africa is the most Christian part of the world. So Philip's obedience to the Spirit it releases enormous power over the next two to three hundred years as Africa, North Africa, particularly, becomes a center of Christendom in the world. So imagine if Philip had said no to the Spirit. So that's a positive example. So hold on to that. And then we've got, in contrast, Peter. Uh, And I'm going to pick up on Matthew uh, 16 and 17, uh, where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John to the Mount of Transfiguration. He's transfigured before them. And uh, and then Peter sees uh, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah talking together at the top of the mountain. And he sees Jesus in his resurrection glory. It's an amazing moment, uh, but Peter doesn't listen. And what Peter does instead, he starts making plans. He's eager to speak, and while um, you know Jesus is is speaking, Peter interrupts, and uh, he starts making plans without listening. And he starts. He says, "Let's let's let's have a building project here. Let's build three booths here," and then all the people can come and it'll expand the mission of Jesus. And we can stay here on this mountain top. It'll all be glorious. And you see, Peter's just been in chapter 16, uh, when uh, Jesus begins to tell Peter and the other disciples about, he's going to be crucified. And they too are going to have to be crucified and deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Jesus. That it's going to be a downward failure path uh, of rejection. Peter says, never Lord, this will never happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So, so for Peter, He's not listening. I mean, he just—he can't get his arms around the fact that failure is the work is going to be the best thing that ever could happen to him, and he can't see suffering, defeat bringing anything good out of it, and he—he he, he just can't see this crucifixion, and uh, and so Peter's not listening uh, to the Spirit uh, by any means, and even he can't wait until whatever Jesus is doing there on that mountaintop. Uh, Peter's just a talker, just like us, and he starts making plans. He's got this feverish building program going. And then God the Father interrupts from a cloud from heaven and says, Listen to him, Jesus. Um, And here's Peter, the cream of the leadership, New Testament leadership, missing it. And, you know, he, like us, he wants a spiritual life, but he wants to be in charge of it. And he wants it to unfold according to his schedule. I so relate to Peter. I hope you can, too. He is a leader that is working for Jesus, uh, for the Great Commission, but he is just not listening, um, especially about the low road, the suffering road, the upside down kingdom. And you know Jesus has been discipling Peter and the 12 at this point for at least a year and a half to two years. And Jesus is trying to get them to understand that you've got to reject the religious way of the Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers of law. That is not the way to go. And Jesus is telling him about reject—he's saying in the world's discipleship is be popular, be great, be successful, and avoid suffering and failure. And Jesus has been saying that, you know, don't be like the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, where everything they do is for people to see. Um, They want to be popular, and and they want to be great, that they take the first seats in the synagogue, and they're considered successful. Uh, And and, and so Jesus is trying to get him out of that into his discipleship, which is reject popularity— uh, with people and reject being great with people and reject being a success in the people's eyes and embrace suffering and failure and go the way the cross and follow me. And he's been trying to drill us into the disciples for three years. But again, for Peter, he's just having a really hard time listening to it. And uh, and so what we see here is, is you know, God trying to get Peter to say, listen to him. That's a great verse in Matthew 17, 5. The Father speaks. Listen to Him, Jesus. That is the core of the Christian life. And so, as we look at those two characters, I want to talk to you about how do we listen? Now, of course, in in, in discerning God's will and listening, there are a few you know clear biblical statements. And uh, let me just mention them briefly here before I get into the three life-changing moments for me uh, about listening that came. Uh, beginning in this journey of E.H. discipleship that really caused the explosive power of the Holy Spirit to become a reality. So we know that, first of all, if you're going to come and, and, and be a listener uh, to, the, to the Holy Spirit, you've got to first be open to his will. In other words, when you come and say, God, show me what you want to do. I want to know your will. I want direction and discernment. Foundationally, there has to be an openness to do whatever the Holy Spirit wants. In other words, I'm just, I'm willing, God, my will is to do your will. If you don't have that posture, then really we're not asking, we're half telling and half asking. So that's got to be there. And secondly, I got to be committed to scripture, which gives me a broad context of what is God's will. So whether it's, you know, I'm not going to lie in an application or about my taxes because the Bible says I don't lie. So I've got the I got biblical uh, framework as well. And then I I want to seek counsel because the Bible is very clear about the abundance of counselors as wisdom. So there is a place for getting wise counsel. And there's a place for prophetic words and dreams coming from, you know, outside of us and speaking to us. There's that too. But what happened to me, as I thought about it, was what really opened up listening and even broadened and deepened it for me uh, were three clear truths. The first was this. What was slowing down for silence and stillness opened up a whole new world to me. Now, the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. You know, Psalm 46, 10. And what, what the Lord is saying in that is, when we're still before him, uh, we know God in ways that we cannot know any other way. There's this revelation and understandings of God that only come out of stillness and silence. That's why you see in verses like Habakkuk two twenty, um, you know, he says, let all the earth be still, you know, before him. Uh... It'll be quiet or silent before Him, and it. When I began this journey of intentional silence before the Lord, the the spiritual practice of silence and stillness, uh, was was so change transforming for me because I never realized how much I wasn't listening. And so, over twenty years ago, uh, that conversion into the contemplative, and again, I, I as many of you know, I took a time to begin to learn from monastics, monks about silence and stillness, because I didn't know any other way to learn. But as I began to engage in those spiritual disciplines, which Dallas Willard said years ago, the two most difficult spiritual practices in the Western church, uh, I realized there was so much of God speaking that I was not hearing. And it wasn't until I actually shut up and actually was quiet before before the Lord that, boy, that changed everything. And I began a communion with God uh, through the daily office, that I continue to do this day, you know, decades later, of taking on morning, midday, uh, evening, and then before I go to bed, prayer, compliment. And at least three times a day, I engage in a rhythm of daily offices, and the core of that daily office is silence. So I was asked, uh, you know, at the conference recently, how does that, what does that look like for you? So in the morning, I'll take, uh, I'll take at least 20 minutes of silence before the Lord, and uh, I will, uh, I'm in his presence, and I'm I'm open to his will, whatever it might be. I'm surrendering my will to his will. I'm receiving his love. And I'm opening to, to listen to anything he might want to say to me. And I'll take a good solid 20 minutes at least each morning. Besides that, I'll do some you know good serious biblical study as well, and devotionally just you know studying scripture. And that could last as, as long as you know anything from a half hour to an hour and a half, you know, in, in the morning, just communion with him. In the afternoon, I may take anywhere from five to thirty minutes of a midday prayer. And again, I'll have some silence in there. Uh, and then I'll have also probably something devotional in, uh, or in Scripture. I may pray the Psalms. And then if I have just a short time, I'll have silence. And I might pray just the Our Father. And then evening, which I try to do between 5 and 8 o'clock, I'll try to have an evening prayer, just a quick pause before the Lord to remember him and get a little bit of silence. And then always before I go to bed, I'll have a, a compliment, it's been called, and end the day with some stillness before God, a brief prayer, just something to close my day with Jesus. And the goal of these rhythms and silence is so that I'm abiding in him when I'm active all through the day. The goal is not to stop. The goal is abiding with him all the time. And that communion, which has a strong element of silence in it, changed my life. And in particular, I began to hear God speak in ways Uh, and with a greater clarity than I ever had before. And I realized, boy, God is saying a lot to me that I had no idea about. And I can't tell you how often, even now, I'm in the middle of my day, I'll pause for a midday prayer and I'll have a little bit of silence and the Holy Spirit will whisper in my ear something as simple as this. Pete, why are you so uptight about this meeting you're having at two o'clock? I got it. It's not a big deal and you're pushing for no reason at all. So silence is stillness was the first life-changing truth that really opened up the explosive power of the the, uh, Holy Spirit. But the second uh, was slowing down to listen to God through the inner movements of my heart, Uh, listening to his voice through my interior life, in particular, my emotions. And that took me into the work of Ignatius of Loyola, going back to the 1500s, who's done the most uh, important, comprehensive work on how do I hear God through the inner movements of my heart, particularly my emotions. Uh, And that stood the test of 500 years. And I encourage you to look up Ignatian spirituality. And again, listening to God inside of me, that that was the big shift of silence and solitude, was listening to the Holy Spirit inside of me. And then with the integration of emotions, that God's actually coming through my desires and my emotions, again, listening to the Holy Spirit inside of me. Prior to this, I was always looking outside for the Holy Spirit to speak, which he does, uh, often thinking through circumstances and people. Uh, but now I was listening to the Holy Spirit inside of me, lived inside of me. That was revolutionary. And so as Ignatius talks about listening to my consolations, that is where I'm sensing a sense of peace and joy and love and delight, life, uh, a sense of relaxation and peace when my soul's coming alive. Much like Eric Liddell says in Chariots of Fire, when I run, I, I feel his pleasure. God made me fast, he says. And then I listen to my desolations. Uh, the name as a name Ignatius gave to those feelings when uh, it's a, there's a turmoil within, kind of a negative anxiety, an irritable, a downward sense, and listening to my body and uh, the tightness and headaches. And often our bodies seem to know before even our minds what's contrary to God's desire for us. And and I began to realize that so often God was speaking to me, but I wasn't listening. So, for example, I finally became comfortable in my own skin about things. The fact that, okay, I was a a white guy leading a multiracial church uh, in Queens, New York. And so when people would say to me, What are you doing? You know, you're the last person that should be leading this. And I, I all I knew is I had to do it. Uh and I knew it was God. I just I, I just had to do it. And even we had a discipleship group in our basement for years after year. And it didn't make any sense logically, but I just knew that Jerry and I need to do this pioneering work in what we call Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And I used to tell people, I know but the global mission's going to come, but right now i got to be focused on this. And people would pressure me and say, you know, we got to be doing all this missional stuff right now and around the world. And I said, all I know is right now it's not time. I've got to do this. So I've got to focus on really pioneering this paradigm we call today Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And it was years in my basement with Jerry. And I, and I, and I began to listen to my body when I could feel myself doing more for God than my Inner life could sustain when my when I was too busy, and I could, I, I began to listen to those listen to my body when I could feel the, the tension, uh, when I was just outside God's will or too act too active, or I'd be in too many planning meetings, and I realized, oh my gosh, like I need a lot of time alone with God to to, to be in my role as when when I was lead pastor, and even now as I lead emotionally of the discipleship around the world, that I just I, I I'm limited. I can't. My, my body and my, my, my spirit just inside the Holy Spirit with my spirit just saying, no, that's not for you, Pete, and uh, you know, not do. And I began to pay attention to that, it was liberating. And so again, it was that, that listening to God and the inner movements of my heart was, was as radical and revolutionary as silence and stillness, that up to that point, until I like got this emotionally healthy discipleship journey, I just wasn't doing. And I found myself much like Philip, so often in the oddest of situations, with the most surprising sorts of people. Uh, and I imagine you will as well. And it's part of being led by the Holy Spirit. But there was a third factor to me, for me that was life changing. And again, it released something explosive in terms of the power of the Spirit to listen to where he might want to take me and our church and our ministry. And that was this. It was moving out of a shallow to a serious discipleship. Moving out of a shallow to a serious discipleship. And I, I, you can say, well, what are you talking about? it's really what Peter what happened to Peter I, I get it uh and and if you look at closely at the gospels Jesus is teaching him over and over again uh about you know that you're gonna follow me and you need to reject again popularity reject greatnessism reject being a success by the world standards and embrace suffering and failure but I'm taking you to a crucifixion and so a serious discipleship is the kind of Biblical themes that we now include into what we call EHSI, but things like befriending limits or befriending suffering and loss, uh, following the crucified Jesus, not the Americanized Jesus, you know, practicing the presence of people, uh, Sabbath keeping, I mean, just slowing down so that my doing for God is sustained by a deep being with God, and brokenness and vulnerability and grief and loss, you name it. But it was this powerful combination that. The the more deeply I got into, I'll call it a serious crucified discipleship of Jesus in the New Testament, um, where Jesus says, no, Pete, the most important thing of life is to be popular with me. It's Matthew 25, where Jesus says, uh, at the end of life, the most important thing is that the father said to you, well done, good and faithful servant, that when you've received your, with your talents, whether you got two or three or eight, uh, no one's got them all. only Jesus, but I'm going to be faithful with those. And I want to hear from the, the father. You that this is great. You know, well done. That's that's being great. That's being a success. That's being popular with Jesus. That's all that really counts. Uh, that requires a certain level of detachment from the world's values of popularity and greatness and success. It's it's so upside down. It's so countercultural. And I it, I really I I think I preached some of it before, but I hadn't I had hadn't got into my bones deeply where. Uh, I think there's a freedom that is necessary inside of us in our discipleship that we're detached from the world. We truly do not love the world or anything in the world, uh, but our one longing is Him, uh, is to be popular with 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 God, and that we know that we have a. As a parable in Matthew twenty end of Matthew twenty four speaks about, we begin food to give to give it to give to give certain servants. Uh, we, we make sure we deliver that food. But I'm not called to feed everybody in the world, but God's given me a, a certain, certain tables to feed and give food to, His food to. And, I'll, and that's success. Success is doing what God's called me to do in, in His timing and in His way, period. Uh, that's success. And, and so for Philip to get on that, the Spirit says to him, go to a desert road between Jerusalem and Gaza in Acts chapter 8, it makes no sense. Uh, that's success for him, just to go on that desert road. Now, he meets one man that Ethiopian eunuch, and he leads him to Jesus. Now, that's it for Philip. He's done. Uh, but do you realize that in three to four centuries, North Africa is going to be the center of Christendom? But it was Philip that launched it. I mean, it's an incredible reality that Africa, North Africa becomes the most important, part, uh, important Christian part of the world for a couple of centuries. But you see, God has a much wider lens of what he is doing than we could ever have. And that's why... Trusting him and looking for popularity and success within that—that's that, the essence of what discipleship's about. That's what listening to the Holy Spirit's about. That's—it's it, his. So we're free from the world's view of success. That's why Philip is so free, and being radically open is is the most important thing we do. And because God has something for you and something for me, and He has people for you to influence. And uh, that's why that, that I love that verse in Matthew seventeen five when the uh, cloud comes down from heaven and says to Peter as he's making plans that are not God. Listen to him. No, listen to him. Listen, if God leads you to a small little church in a rural area uh, of the country in which you live, and you pastor a church of 22 people, that's it. And then you lead a a couple of people, maybe return to God, a couple. They have some children. Uh, One of those children comes to Christ and and you, you know, you you grow old and die, and but that young son or young daughter becomes a uh, incredible force for God and unleashes a great move of God in their part of the world. And then 100, 200 years, there's, there's this amazing fruit that's changed that whole part of the country because you are faithful. To go and not perhaps go to the capital city, but go to that rural area and be faithful there, and look like nothing was happening. But God had a bigger plan that you could never see, much like He did for Philip. But you radically obey, you radically open to the Holy Spirit, and you did it. And that's a place of great contentment as well. And like Philip, uh, you did something amazing. See, God's got something amazing for you and and for me. But it begins and middle and ends with being radically open to listen to the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. So may I invite you to slow down for silence and stillness? So maybe you can begin to add to your day a midday prayer, midday office, we call it, and just take five, 10 minutes and just stop, pause. I'm assuming you've got some morning time with God and begin to just be still before him, set your alarm sometime between 11 and 2, which is when non-monastics try to break up their day in those kind of rhythms, and uh, just pause and, and surrender your will to God's will, maybe pray the Our Father, and add that midday office. That's number one. The second is listen to God in the interior movements of your heart. Uh, begin to explore how God's coming through your, your passions, your desires, your, your, your emotions, what's bringing you life, what's bringing you death, and begin to actually pay attention to that. Um, what is it, things that you cannot not do? You just must do them. And thirdly, uh to continually move into a more serious discipleship of immersing yourself in in scripture and the radicalness of what it means to follow Jesus, uh, not the Americanized Jesus, which we've explored all over the world. So either you're listening to me in Asia or Africa or Latin America, uh, I'm just calling it the Americanized Jesus because it's got that kind of a you know popularity, be great and be a success by the world standards, and it just it just tricks us up and it wasn't until Peter got broken uh, that he was free from it. And sometimes we have to go through great breaking experiences and great failure uh, to get free from the world's definitions uh, of greatness and success that, that are impacting our ability to listen to the Holy Spirit. So we always want to be deepening our discipleship in Him and immersing ourselves in Scripture. Uh, and again, I'll, I'll call some of the unique contributions of the missing parts of discipleship that we're trying to bring to you, things like limits and grief and loss and um, uh, practicing the presence of people and brokenness and vulnerability. Uh, just, things like this are just so key. So let me invite you to uh, to take some next steps and and go to us. Go to EmotionallyHealthy.org and uh take some next steps. Now there, there's if you go to our website at ww.emotionally.org, you're gonna see three pathways. You, your team, and your church. Uh pick your path. Uh if it's you, it'll take you some paths of looking at you know some books like the emotionally of leader. If it's your team, we got some team experiences that are free to download to begin to help you slow down and uh look at Sabbath keeping and look at developing a rule of life and begin to get a little bit of silence into your life and do a genogram. And then you got your church, which is the emotion of the discipleship church and begin emotionally healthy discipleship course and some of those resources. But God's, so please check it out, take some steps. God's passionate for you. He's passionate for the world. He died for you that you might be free and so that he might live inside of you, that you might be able to lead for Jesus uh, in the name of Jesus. And and the wind is blowing and God is speaking by the Holy Spirit. And may the Lord give you grace to listen and to hear him for the glory of his name. God bless everybody. It's been such a joy to be with you. You have a wonderful, wonderful day.